in a place of blessing. And that's what Peter did following Pentecost. Filled with the Spirit, Peter lived his life in a way that God loves to honor and bless. One of the things I, I hope we see today as we study these, these personalities is how God blessed their lives and how they cultivated lives that God was free to bless. And how they put themselves in, a, in that place of blessing. Now before Peter's being filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he certainly had made his share of mistakes. But God blessed his life anyway. Now up to this point, Peter has had a very public ministry. He's been, he had a, obviously a, a very public sermon at Pentecost. Uh, he had the streets of Jerusalem he was preaching, uh, we know about. As a result of that, we know he even had a public ministry in front of the Sanhedrin uh, several times. But today we're going to take a, a different look at Peter. A side of Peter's ministry that was much more private and in a more personal setting. He was ministering to the needs of just two people in our lesson today. And we're going to see God blessing him for his willingness to serve where he was needed most at the time, where he was called to minister. We're going to start by looking at his life, a blessed life that was marked by ministry. Now, our scripture this morning starts at verse 31, and this is a, a, a transitional type of verse from where we stopped last week when Saul was being spirited out of town uh, for his own safety and sent back to his hometown of, of Tarsus. So beginning at verse 31 of chapter 9. So the, ter- the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, that's a transition because we know that Saul of Tarsus was the great persecutor of the church. And he had made his, his work to stamp out the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, this new blasphemous religion. And so he was working hard at stamping out the church, but now he's gone. Now, not everybody knows why. We know he's been converted to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but he's out of this, off the scene now. And the scene now shifts back to Peter in Jerusalem. And in the meantime, the church is at peace, says here, and being built up. Verse 32 then goes on. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lod. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Peter had begun an itinerant uh, preaching ministry throughout Judea and Samaria. He was constantly on the go. And someday there, some people are critical of people who are constantly on the go, whether it's with the church or with something else. But he was busy in the ministry. Maybe some of the criticism is justifiable. But it seems to me that when you look at people who accomplish great things for God, most often he uses busy people. Whether they get busy after he begins to, to use them or whether... He uses them because they're already busy. I, I can't say. But these, these busy people don't generally have to wait for things to happen. 
they are generally responding to the Holy Spirit, and they're out there helping make things happen. And I believe that for those who are faithful and busy doing the will of God, whatever that happens to be for them individually, they recognize it is true that God continues to unveil more and deeper dimensions of his will for them when they're seeking his face, doing what he's called them to do. He'll, he'll reveal more and more to them. Now, we discussed a couple of weeks ago how a, a confronted Saul on the road to Damascus asked the two most important questions that anyone can ask. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Generally, though, those, the questions are a little different. What do you want me to do ultimately isn't really the question. The question really is, what do you want me to do today? And when we do what he wants us to do today, the ultimate will take care of itself, will it not? He'll lead us right into whatever it is that he wants us ultimately to do. And Peter was a a today kind of guy. He took the opportunities that were in front of him, and he made the most of them. His travels took him to Lod, a city about 10 miles southeast of the seacoast town of Joppa, and to the believers that lived there. And many of those saints had already fled the persecution in Jerusalem. That's why they were there. Fled Saul, if you will. Others there were new converts. There had been some that were converted already. And here Peter met a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years. Now, I didn't really think about this too much before, but to the best of my recollection, there's no record of any believer being healed in the New Testament. Three, that is Lazarus, Dorcas, and Eutychus, were raised from the dead, but I don't know of any believers that were healed of disease or infirmity. Now, we're not told specifically whether or not Aeneas was a believer, But the New King James refers to him in verse 33 as a certain man, which is one indication of it. And we'll explain that a little bit more in a little bit. But that, along with the the trend of healings in the New Testament, and together with Peter's words to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, indicates to me that he was not a believer. Next we see Peter... Peter's life is a life that's marked by humility. Verses 34 and 35. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lod and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Hmm. You see, Peter, first of all, right off the bat, made it clear to Aeneas that it was not him, Peter, who was doing the healing. He directed all the glory to Jesus. Now, the three observations I want to make about this healing event. First of all, we see Peter is the instrument of Aeneas' healing. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Now, I think it's true to say that from Pentecost until his death in Rome, Peter was an instrument a tool in the hand of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. The desire to be a a tool in God's toolbox. There, available, gifted, (laughs) 
ready for him to use. And that was Peter. He was a, he was a tool in the hand of Jesus Christ. Another characteristic of people that God uses. They humbly serve in order to bring glory to the Lord. It's that old paradox. For him to increase, we must decrease. He is the power and he is the glory. Peter's focus in his words to Aeneas was Jesus Christ. That was his focus. He wasn't the healer. He announced the healer. Ministries today need to realize that. They have to recognize and admit that it's Jesus Christ who is building his church. It's not any man. It's not any group of men. It's not any program of the church. It's Jesus through the Holy Spirit building his church. Temptation to power and temptation to glory and ambition frankly, are in abundant supply in the church today. But today, we have to be very careful. Mark 16, 20 explains that it's Jesus who is working through his servants to accomplish what is done. Look at Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. We're well advised to use Peter's pattern of speech here. He used humble and honest phrases that helped explain his relationship to God, to Jesus. He said, Jesus Christ helped me. Jesus saved me. Jesus healed me. He comforted me. He's provided for me. Humility and honesty is what God blesses. Secondly, we see the immediacy of Aeneas' healing. Verse 34b. He said, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. (laughs) Aeneas' healing followed the same pattern as healings found throughout the Bible. It was instantaneous. When the blind were healed, they saw. When the lame were healed, they walked. When the deaf were healed, they heard. They didn't have to wait. Peter didn't tell Aeneas that he'd be healed if he had enough faith or that it would take a little time. He just said, arise and make your bed. And he was healed. And thirdly, we observe the impact of Aeneas' healing. Verse 35. And all the residents of Lod and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Obviously, this miraculous healing led a lot of folks to believe. You can never predict what might happen when we're faithful to proclaim the Lord. Even when only one person is directly impacted. I remember the first time I got to share my testimony of my hospitalization uh, in Ukraine. It was in a large church. I don't know, about 700 people. I had never shared that testimony. I can't say I never had shared it before, but I had never shared it to a people who didn't speak English, that's for sure. And when I was done speaking, there were several people who came up and prayed to repent 
and to turn to Jesus Christ. And I remember the impact it had on me. All I did was say what God had done in my life. And that impact was was pretty incredible to see three or four people want to give their lives to Jesus Christ simply because I said what had happened. Well, this is the way it was with Aeneas. When he was healed, a lot of people in the area were converted to Christ. In fact, according to verse 35, (laughs) it said, All the residents of Lod and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. What What did we call repentance a few weeks ago? Turning away from the direction we're going and turning to the Lord. (laughs) And this whole community apparently was impacted because of God's blessing through Peter. We find that Peter's life was marked by ministry. It was marked by humility. And thirdly, we see it was marked by his availability. Verses 36 to 39. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Which is translated, which translated means Dorcas. And she was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lod was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All of the windows stood, or widows stood beside him, weeping, and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, because Peter took the opportunity to minister to Aeneas in Jop or in Loda, in Lod, he happened to be in the right place and was called then to minister to a resident of Joppa named Dorcas. You see how that works? When you're faithfully doing what God has called you to do, what he's set before you, you often find yourself called here or there to do additional things for the Lord. It's why walking with Jesus is one of life's greatest adventures. I've often referred to it as a Christian e-ticket. For those of you old enough to remember what an e-ticket is. Because when you make yourself available to him and you're faithful to do what he calls you to do, it's exciting. You never know where the road's going to lead you. You never know what kind of opportunities he's going to put in front of you. And maybe that's why we're, we're called to be rootless. <laughs> that's a play on words, folks. Rootless. Just passing through. Passing through this place on our way to our real home with the Lord. We're citizens of God's kingdom, not of any place here on earth. So don't be overly attached. Be rootless. Be available like Peter was to the Lord. He traveled from Lod 10 miles to Joppa when the Lord called him. Now before we go on, I want to, I want to take just a, a brief look at the life of Dorcas. Um, I think I'd rather be called Tabitha if I were her, but we'll go with Dorcas here. First, there was the description of this lady. It says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. 
Clearly, she had been a highly respected believer in Joppa, but she fell ill and died. And like Lazarus' friends summoned Jesus in John chapter 11, these friends of Dorcas had heard that Peter was nearby in Lod, and they immediately sent for him. As evidenced by her handiwork in, in fashioning the tunics and other garments, Dorcas was not only highly respected, but she was highly skilled. And secondly, we see now that Dorcas' discipleship. See, she's identified here as a disciple. In the New King James, just as Aeneas was ID'd as a certain man, she's identified as a certain disciple. So I think if Aeneas had been already a disciple of Jesus, he probably would have been identified that way. Tabitha was the Aramaic, Aramaic name, Dorcas, the Greek version. Both words mean gazelle in their respective languages. And then thirdly, we get a, a, just a peek at Dorcas' deeds, what she did. Verse 36 tells us Dorcas was, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Now we don't know all that she did. And maybe she gave many of the cloaks and and tunics that she wore away to the needy. Obviously, the widows that were there grieving her passing were displaying garments that she had made for them. So she was very generous in what she did. I see her as kind of a level-headed woman, busy about the Lord's work, industrious. And she cared for those that were around her. And finally, we see... Dorcas' death in verses 37 to 39. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lod was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter arose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. Now, News in those days didn't travel nearly as fast as it does today. But it did move pretty quickly. Now it's possible that the people of Joppa had heard of what had happened to Aeneas already in Lod. So they delayed burying Dorcas until Peter could be summoned. That would appear to be the case here. As it says, they washed her and laid her in an upper room. Now the Jews customarily show great respect for the dead throughout the Old Testament, especially in the lives of the patriarchs, we saw that. They did the same here for Dorcas, calling Peter to come quickly and hopefully asking him to help her miraculously as he had done for Aeneas. The next thing we see in Peter's lifestyle then is a life that's blessed and marked by dependency. Look at verses 40 and 41. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now, the first question you might ask is, okay, Pastor, where do you see dependency in that? I'm glad you asked. Mm -hmm. 
When Peter got there, he asked everyone else to please leave the room. Something he probably learned from Jesus back in Mark chapter 5, verse 40, when he uh, healed the ruler's daughter. And I believe Peter here wanted to be alone with the Lord. He knew that he had no way of pulling off what he was thinking of doing in his own power. He was just the instrument of the Lord. In this life, there's a a great temptation that once we experience a little success, we think we've really got it all together. We see that happening. Maybe some of us will admit we've seen it happen in our own lives. But we think we've got it all together. But we don't, especially when it comes to something like this. You see, if we... If we fail to live in dependency on the Lord, then nothing will work out the way we have planned it in our lives. Our plan needs to be made with the Lord. He has a plan for us. But if we really want God's blessing, we need to be dependent upon him. When Peter was done praying, he spoke to Dorcas. He said, Tabitha, arise, and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and then he called the saints and presented her alive. Now, can you just imagine the rejoicing that went on when he opened that door, and these people stood, and there was Dorcas, who had been dead. They had prepared her for burial, but here she was alive. Now, I have to tell you, I don't know how much of that rejoicing would be coming from Dorcas, like Lazarus, or like Eutychus, who had, if, if being dead is to be present with the Lord, I don't want to be called back. And perhaps they didn't either. But now they're going to have to go through that whole thing again of dying again. <laughs> but the people were rejoicing. So, no matter how much we might love the life that God has blessed us with here, and the people that he's put around us and blessed us with, I'm sorry, I just can't imagine wanting to come back after being in the presence of the Lord. That's about the only thing that would tear me away from the people that I love. And over the past few years, I, I've, I guess I've, seen, I've had the privilege of seeing a number of of saints move on to be with the Lord. Some of them at a very advanced age. I think the oldest one I've done is 105. And some of those people, even before they passed, would, would cry out, why won't the Lord just take me home? Why keep me here? They were aware, clearly, of, of what and who They would be leaving behind here. But again, we have that that promised hope of resurrection and reunion in heaven. This might be a good place for us to come up with today's so what. Our fifth characteristic of a lifestyle that brings God's blessings in life is a life that's marked by productivity. Verse 42, and it, that is Dorcas' resurrection, 
became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. We in the church often refer to being productive as bearing fruit, right? It's a metaphor, metaphorical picture that's, that's used in scripture a lot. And so we kind of adopt it and we'll use it. Bearing fruit. And it's applicable here. It seems that wherever Peter went, you could track him by the trail of, of good fruit that he bore for the Lord. A paralyzed man returned to health in load. A good believing woman brought back to life from the dead in, in Joppa. All of these things going on. It's not busy work, but fruitful, productive work. Understand, we don't have to be doing miraculous healings or raising people from the dead to be productive. Peter simply used the apostolic gifts that he was given. We don't have those same gifts necessarily, but we all have gifts that God has given us to use for him, for his glory. And we need to be using it. We have all those other gifts, gifts that should be used, just as productive Peter used his gifts. So you have to be uh, somewhat aware of what your gifts are. You can do that by just examining your own heart, your own life, and talking to the Lord. and He'll expose to you what gifts you have. And how he wants you to use them. And sometimes the gift that you have is not something that you would have ever thought you would have been gifted to do. And sometimes the things that you might think you're gifted to do, he leaves those for other things. He doesn't use them necessarily. But know your gifts. Be productive with them. Our last characteristic of a person that God uses is a life that's marked by flexibility. (laughs) It goes back to that e-ticket I was talking about. You need to be flexible because the Lord will use you to do things that you had no idea you could or would or should do. He will use you some remarkable ways to communicate salvation to some people that you would not have thought you might ever meet. But here it shows what Peter did in verse 43. He stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Uh, Where's Bill? That's not a taxidermist. (laughs) I suppose most of us would look at this brief verse, and it's pretty innocuous, and we we might just want to pass it by. Yet this short verse reveals a volume of insight into Peter's flexibility as a minister of God's grace. Remember that Peter grew up in an environment where Gentiles were seen as the scum of the earth. A Jewish midwife was forbidden to even help in a Gentile woman's delivery, lest she propagate the Gentile race. They had a name for him, Goyim. And their midwives were not supposed to help the goyim. (laughs) My daughter happens to be a midwife, and she's a a believer. And I'm afraid that mindset would get her up on a soapbox right now. Uh, But this culture was racist. It was uh, a highly prejudicial way of seeing others. And yet, 
God was opening Peter's eyes to another way here. He had seen God already extend the gospel to the Samaritans, the half-breeds that the Jews also despised, who lived next door to him. They despised the Jews. But you could say Peter was already halfway to recognizing that the Gentiles as a whole were going to be invited to accept God's grace as well. Later in Acts 10, we see him learn that lesson in his experience with Cornelius. And we'll probably talk about that in a few weeks. But Peter was clearly already changing. He was growing, as demonstrated by his willingness to stay in the home of a tanner. This is a person that dealt with dead animals, tanning their hides into leather. And to a Jew, a tanner would be ceremonially unclean because of his contact with dead animal bodies. They'd be outcasts from the synagogues and society in general. Yet here is Peter, willing to break down that social barrier and stay in the home of Simon the Tanner while he lingered in Joppa. Peter understood that the person God uses and blesses in life is not a person of racial prejudice. Ministry, humility, availability, dependency, productivity, flexibility, characteristics of the person that God blesses in life and in ministry. Let me just encourage us all today as we... uh, as we strive to grow in our walk with him, both with and for the Lord. I pray that we'll be seeking to live lives that bear these marks so that they might also reflect the blessing of the Lord in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we we seem to do every week when we finish looking into this book. 